Salam and hello. Welcome to Uproot. I am thrilled that you've decided to spend some time with us today. Today's show is about legacy, the legacies we make and the ones we carry forward. And perhaps there's no one better to have this conversation with than my guest today, Wanjira Mathai. Wanjira is an activist, an advocate for youth leadership, and an environmentalist. Perhaps her most significant role is as the chair of the Wangari Mathai Foundation. According to her Twitter handle, she is bullish about Kenya, and as the daughter of the Nobel Peace Laureate Wangari Mathai, she's carrying forward her mother's work and is striving to preserve and honor her legacy. Wanjira also serves as senior advisor at the World Resources Institute and for the Partnerships for Women Entrepreneurs in Renewables. She sits on the board of the World Agroforestry Center and until recently was the chair of the Green Belt Movement, which her mother started. She served as chair for over six years. Ms. Mathai was a senior program officer for disease eradication at the Carter Presidential Center, and she holds degrees from Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health and the Goizeta School of Business. Did I say that right? Goizueta. Goizueta School of Business. And Wanjira was also named one of the top Africans in 2018. So today, as we talk about legacy, how we make it, how we preserve it, and how we build it, I am delighted and honored to welcome Wanjira Mathai to the show. Welcome to Uproot. Thank you, Lily. So Wanjira, we've read your, a bit of your CV and the work that you do professionally, but I would love to hear how you introduce yourself to others and what you value most out of this body of work that you've done. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's difficult often to introduce yourself the same way all the time. I think it, it always really depends on how I'm feeling, what's on my mind. I'm uh, extremely proud to be mother of two girls who, who I, I feel um, a heavy responsibility to model what I'd like to see in this world, uh, as was done for me. And, and then the work that we're doing on character building and personal leadership, building the next generation of leaders and inspiring them from early ages, from the mm -hmm. age of 10 years old, and in fact thinking maybe even we should start at six years old, to begin to think about purpose. What does it Absolutely. mean to care about something? Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's how you want to define yourself as somebody who is proud mother to two, but also providing this kind of, maybe mothering is not the right word, but providing leadership for a broader body of children right. who we need to engage with at, as young as possible. I couldn't agree exactly. with you more on that. You know, um, as somebody who has grown up probably partly in the public eye, in the international public eye for that matter, there are stories that are probably been told about your mother, Wangari Mathai, and who she was and what she meant. But I would love to hear in your words who she was to you. What's the story of Wangari Mathai that feels the most true? Wow, that's, that's, a, um, that's a lovely question. I think Wangari Mathai to me, yes, she was my mother. And in so many ways, that's the only thing I knew. And I often mm. tell people that it almost seemed like talking about someone else when people mm. would ask me about her because yeah. I always had a hard time relating what they were saying to her because I saw her at home as mom. And yeah. so it didn't make sense. And I actually tell people every day that I, I, she would go to work and so did everybody other's mother, whether they were working at home or whether they went to an office or somewhere. But that's what they did and that's yeah. what my mother did. So I didn't think it extraordinary. I didn't think it hmm. important or interesting, any more important than anybody else's 
work. But I definitely, as time went by, it's the depth and the profundity and the commitment and the persistence and the courage that begins to take shape. And, and I started to, to really appreciate um, what that meant yeah. and, and the sort of selflessness that she represented, both as a mother, and you know that, is, mm. was the, one, the consistency of that in her life. She was extremely selfless in every way, little ways, and she never did much for herself. She always wow. did for us. She, always, she bought very little for herself, but she yeah. always would bring things for us. And she had a very clear sense of justice and, and a clear sense of fairness, and that whether you are a child or an adult, that you needed to understand that. And I had several experiences where, um, in many cases, we would have considered, you know, this is a child, she does what the grown-up says, and this is an adult, they yeah. always have the authority. But there were so many instances where she would make us understand that actually you were right and I want you to go back and explain to that adult who punished you that maybe they didn't quite understand your wow. intention. Yeah. And so as a child, we always knew that, you know, you do the right thing, public opinion notwithstanding. You just mm. sort of focus and stay stay consistent. And that that was a tenure, a constant tenure in her life. And that was seen publicly in the way it manifested itself. Yeah. But to us, we saw it in a very different way. But yeah. now in my adult uh, age and in retrospect, I can see how consistent that was in her life. That's pretty remarkable. I think um, I'm struck by the, the phrase that you used. She had a clear sense of justice. Um, on Uproot, one of my three themes is joy, resilience, and justice. Yeah, and sometimes we feel those things cannot coexist. How can you be joyful if you're striving for justice? But we're really fortunate to have a lot of audio and video of your mom mm. and her speaking and sharing her vision and her passion. And I recently watched um, Taking Root, the documentary yeah. about her work. And I was actually struck by how much she smiles. Mm. And there seemed to be a joy that went in partnership yeah. for her struggle for yeah. justice because she, she suffered a lot. Um, from As her daughter and as somebody who now has taken up the cause, what, what role does joy maybe have as we pursue justice? Wow, joy has got to be part of it. And I think one of the, the, the most important pursuits is, is to find that space that mm. gives you joy, yeah. to find that work that gives you joy. And as long as my mother always said to us that you, service will always be what gives you most satisfaction. However you do it, whatever yeah. way you express that service, it will always be the source of the greatest satisfaction. That's why she smiled all the time, because yeah. for her, she was serving yeah. in her, in, in her, you know, that was the exclamation point for yeah. her. That is really where she wanted to be. And and the, the great work is to find that spot for us. And we spend a lot of time in our lives. But many times we don't, we're not very intentional about where we want to spend our time. And certainly what this what is our purpose? And so we're actually working to mm. see whether we can sharpen that ability, the mindfulness to be more intentional and to be more purposeful. And with that, you can't but have joy. Because yeah. that's where you're supposed to be. That's right. what you want to yeah. do. And you do it with abundance. And, and they say, some, I've read, you know, that they say the intersection of what you love and the world's needs is where you find your calling. You know, Absolutely. so the intersection of what brings you joy and what the world needs. And, and for her, there, I, I love the story she talks about playing with tadpoles in the river when she was young. And yeah. then to see those disappear and that her joy was disappearing. And yes. so then to pursue it was yeah. an act of justice, but Absolutely. born out of that. And, and I hear you talking about that even in our brief intro about the 
work that you're now doing with the foundation to mentor young people into that same model of finding purpose and vision from a young age that really defines who you become as an adult. Okay, we won't go too far ahead. We're going to come back to the foundation in great depth, but I'd love to hear from you a little bit about, um, you know, the the early years of her work. I think I was really struck by in the first 10 years of her marriage, she founded the Greenbelt Movement. Mm -hmm. She had three kids um, and then her marriage ended and she talks about that quite a lot. And I think that vulnerability that she shows to talk about that is quite rare as an African woman, as a woman. um, Sometimes vulnerability is not something that we are allowed because we are so busy um, pushing and and fighting and striving. Um, But from where you sat, do you feel like, um, especially in those early years where she was starting a family and starting a movement, did one have to give to make space for the other? Was it, um, were they intertwined? How do you see it? And again, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but um, yeah, I don't know if you have some thoughts it's on that. It's hard. I mean, I think you, you, it's a constant balance. I'm a mother yeah. now, I have a career, I'm growing, doing what I'm trying to do. And it, it's just a constant balance. Yeah. You just respect for whatever circumstances and and I think the the there is no formula. Life happens, and and my feeling is, uh, you just hope that everybody turns out okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You can only yes. hope that the best is, <laughs> yes. especially for the children involved. And and I think uh, I'm really grateful for my parents for being so supportive of us, no matter what mm. the circumstances. And you know, in in my as as you get older, you start to appreciate how difficult and painful and and um, all that must have been, yeah. but at the same time, there was always space uh, to know that these children are are not here by their own choosing, yes. and that we have an absolute prime responsibility to ensure that they live the fullest lives they can, regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, that's that's it's so true what you say that as time and perspective is the only way we can understand that fully. As a kid, you're just a kid in the middle of a situation. As an adult, you look and you say. Yeah, this is the, I have a responsibility to them and, and we have a responsibility to do right by them. And it's interesting, though, because she was also mothering a movement. She was mothering now environmentalism, climate change. These are like part of our everyday vocabulary. Back then, she was almost like defining language for us um, on the continent, um, in this Horn of Africa region. And then it went beyond that. It went to the world. Um, As somebody now who's leading a foundation and trying to also give words and language to what you want to do, how does one do that? How do you give voice and give definition to concepts that maybe are not already a part of the cultural norms? Or maybe they are and we have to dig for them. But how, how are you doing that now in the foundation? Well, the biggest lesson is not alone. Yeah. Uh, nobody can achieve all that. And by no means was my mother working alone. She had the solidarity of some amazing women, many of whom are still here yes. with us and who are part of the movement and who who were, you walked alongside her and informed her and supported her and informed the growth of the movement over those years. And, and you know, it takes a lot of solidarity. I think anything we do today and if, if we go wrong, in our movements today is for mistaking the importance of solidarity. Where are, where is the movement 
Where are the others? You cannot move alone. And so for me, that has been extremely important. And building that movement, I'm part of, uh, fortunately, a few good movements in the education yeah. reform work that we are doing with children in, in a way it's education reform because we're looking at how do we begin to build character and leadership within the mainstream education system. That is a reform agenda for education. Yeah. But thankfully, there are so many others. I'm part of a fellowship called the METIS Fellowship now through through METIS that is looking at consolidating and, and bringing together change makers in the education sector. And it feels so good mm. to know that you're in the company of others. This yeah. is a shared journey for all of us. So the solidarity, I think, for me is clearly uh, high on yeah. that agenda. And that's why she was able to sustain it so long. Yeah, and she was able to... I, I love how I want to come to sustainability for sure because I think I'm struck by the solidarity she was able to achieve in the midst of what was some very heavily tribalistic years for Kenya and some real crisis years for Kenya, of a crisis of leadership politically and otherwise. Um, you know, there was a real cost to the work that she did. You know, we know the public cost, the, the beatings, the maligning of her character in the yeah. press by senior government officials, the imprisonments. She persisted through all that. Um, as somebody who was on the front lines, probably witnessing that, I don't know, you know, you must have been maybe just primary school age, maybe in, yeah. those, in those early yeah. years. But, yeah. you know, what did it cost her to be who she was? Well, a lot from our perspective. I mean, I felt uh, it was it was dangerous work. It yeah. was frightening work. So, yeah, obviously, there was not, we were not clapping. My yeah. brothers and I were, were very <laughs> concerned yeah. on many occasions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the work that she did to save Uhuru Park, the work that she did to save Kahura forest was really, really um, dangerous work. Absolutely. But it was so clear to her that that needed to be done. And quite frankly, as children, you can only process uh, based on, you know, an action has a reaction. So she always came home. She always survived. And mm. by the grace of God, yeah. that nothing dangerous that we know of happened. And so it just somehow became, okay, this she is came mom's back. work. Yeah, yeah. this yeah. is what she does, yeah. and this is how she works. And mm -hmm. then, of course, um, with time, you appreciate how dangerous it really yeah. was. Yeah. But yeah, of course, we were we were very concerned about that work and 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 the extent to which she was leading it. But we also knew that she was not alone. She was yeah. not alone in this work. That's why how, I say. How did, how did you know that she wasn't alone? What what gave you that impression? Because of the 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 support she would get um, mm. in in any of those. Uh, situations, there were university students who were willing to walk from the University of Nairobi to Karura Forest to make it clear that this was not a one-woman show. Yeah. There were obviously the movement itself. There were governments from around the world, leaders at the top level of government, who were saying, no, this is not right, what's happening. There was uh, agents even within the government who were on her side but couldn't mm. say. Uh, uh, there were just... There was clear solidarity, and you felt that as a as a as no a as a child I person. didn't yeah, as yeah. a child I didn't because we did try and say you know this is doesn't make sense, but f later on you get the sense okay it was very yeah. clear that she yeah. was not she never broke the law yeah she was yeah. very clear she always told us we whatever we do we always stay within the law so they will never arrest me for breaking mm. the law mm. that was interesting to that me is, because yeah. It was always very uh, calculated. There were very clear letters written. 
yeah. copied to the press so that the public got wind of what was going on, but there was never a breach of law. And that was instructive because then, of course, they did, there was not a very easy way yeah. to, to arrest this woman for breaking some yeah. law. Yeah. But it was tough. I'll tell you, it was difficult work for her. And, it, and I don't think for one minute she, people often say, oh, she's so courageous. She wasn't afraid. She was afraid. Yeah. She told me all the time that she was very afraid about um, would she come back? Would she, would she be permanently injured in one of these activists? But I, the, 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 comp, the passion to get it done yeah. overcomes that fear. Yeah, that's and um, that is incredible. I must yeah. say, I tell people all the time, for whatever reason, I want, I want to dis, dis, dissuade anybody of, or at least <laughs> make sure everybody understands that it is, it is not genetic that courage. I mean, <laughs> I don't have an ounce of that. You can't bottle it and sell it on the And carry it off, and people will say, "Oh, but you know, but she saved Uhuru Park. How come?" I'm like, "No, this is not. That was she her. Was, she was her. She was yeah. her. Yeah. And and we can only hope we have an ounce yeah. of that. Yeah. And I and I love what you said about solidarity and now at least being able to see so clearly that she wasn't alone. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes I get overwhelmed when I look at our political and activist landscape and think, do we have the same solidarity now that our parents did to fight for independence and secure it, you know, to push out governments, to organize? You know, do, do you, as you look out, uh, Wanjira, and you have both the, uh, an eye towards Kenya, but broader because of the work you do, do you see that same kind of solidarity now in 2019? Well, in some cases I do. I think um, it's not always there, but I also think it's it's not to be mistaken always as a fight. This, the the reform agenda for you know for the big five, the president's big five agenda needs solidarity. We yeah, need absolutely. people to rally around affordable housing. You need people to rally around. Uh, you know, universal health care. Yes. There's just, it's solidarity around getting things done. And so for those of us who are interested in the environmental sector and, and restoration and landscape restoration and ensuring that our, our beautiful country stays green, we need solidarity. We need yeah. everybody to rally around that agenda. Otherwise, it's it yeah. just disappears. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I uh, that's... We have to remain hopeful. I have to remember that joy, you know, because I think when you when it, looking at just facts, figures, numbers, ethnic violence, you know, I'm Ethiopia. So as much as exciting political reform as we've had in the last year, we have subsequently also felt the growing pains of democracy. And there still remains significant concerns around ethnic violence in particular. And it seems to be something that as a continent we're always wrestling with, you know, yeah. we're looking at Sudan and, and how excited we are that yeah. there's, you know, possibility for real reform and change to come it's going to cost something though yeah. you know yeah. um i guess it i'm just musing does. with you i'm just musing yes. with you more than asking yes. you a question just to say that um yeah, yeah change is always going to cost us something there's going to be a price to pay and but to, to navigate that we can't do it alone we'll i agree have to forward, I mean, yeah. and i think that that who would have thought a yeah. year ago that ethiopia would be where they are today, even just the psychology Absolutely. of those changes, what it does for the psyche of Ethiopian men and women who yes. can now start having hopes and aspirations in ways that maybe they never did before. Yeah. We know that some of the predictors of long-term success are aspiration. Just that, just Absolutely. the feeling that of possibility Absolutely. Is, is transformative. Yeah. Yeah. So you need that. You need yeah. moments like that because generally that propels yeah. us in the right direction. Yeah. What do you see that gives you hope right now? 
Oh my goodness, that's an interesting question. What gives me hope? Um, my optimism. I, I, I really love the beauty of my country, the, um, the brilliance of the citizens. We're just surrounded by such an amazing uh, country and, uh, and great opportunity. But of course, there's so much frustration around where could we be if we didn't have so much graft, for example. I feel um, or mediocre leadership across the board. And often when I talk about leadership, people think I'm talking about political leadership. No, I'm not talking about our MPs. I'm talking about leadership in schools, in banks, in, you know, you open the newspapers every day and you're frustrated. Why does this have to be this way? Where is the yeah. sense of fairness? Right. Um, it almost feels like we're taking food out of children's mm -hmm. mouths. It's just, no, where can, how can we change that? And that helps me keep going because in a country like this, that just seems so unacceptable that we, we, we should have no mediocre leadership in any of our institutions because Absolutely. we have the capacity. Absolutely. Uh, the greed and selfishness is just reaching levels and un, 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 un before unseen. And so I feel the need really, maybe that's why I'm working with children, to see if a different reality is possible because these children in no time at all yeah. will be in leadership. I mean, I remember being their age and now my age mates are leading this country in all in all areas. So Absolutely. it's not it's not a long time before these kids are in charge and hopefully uh, a better world yeah. emerges. As you um, reflect back, you know, um, it, it's it's a I, I think what I one thing I appreciate about you, Wanjir, as I've read about your work and the work that you're carrying forward is that you are not trying to necessarily forge a brand new identity for yourself. You are trying to ensure that the hard work and labor of not just your mom, but all of those four mothers mm. and forefathers who really built the Greenbelt movement, who moved forward free and fair elections, mm. who advocated on behalf of mothers and political prisoners, you're trying to really preserve their legacy by ensuring it doesn't fade away, that by building on the next generation. And, and I appreciate that you want to take that legacy forward. Um, how will you know that you've succeeded? How will, what will it look like to you when you start to say, yeah, this legacy is not just an idea, but it's, it's an active now, it's a verb. What will that look like to you? you know, that's an interesting question because one time I was uh, in one of my business school courses, we were asked to imagine the headlines of the future. Mm. And I remember those headlines had to do with um, you know, the United States signs climate agreement. I mean, that seemed like an impossible headline. Mm. Well. The headlines of the future would could easily be, especially for a country where integrity is really taken for what it is, where we have people who are dying to get into government and work for government for the right reasons. Mm. We know many countries around the world. I remember going to the little kingdom of Brunei and finding the brilliant minds in government coming back from Harvard and all over the world, Oxford and Cambridge, and their first priority is to, to work in government. Yeah. To hmm. come home and to, to be, work be a public in government. Servant. Because yeah. that was 
it, there is a pride and a joy. I think that to me would be just the best, that the joy of service. It's, it's exactly. working, yeah. People yeah. want to be members of parliament because they want to serve. So yeah. you get the right people there. Yes. That is their, yes. their uh, service. But right now we don't see that. Sometimes we vote people in and then we're like, oh my goodness. Or we have teachers who are not as selfless. Teaching is a deep, slow, hard work. But Absolutely. it's so seminal. Yes. When will it be that our systems incentivize the most important profession in the world? Absolutely. Teachers spend so much time shaping the future of our country, but we don't. Absolutely. We don't compensate them yeah. appropriately. We don't value them half as much as we should. But that is that is a pretty divine profession. So my future is where that seems to shine through. All I can say is yes and amen. Yeah. I am the, the daughter of two teachers. Uh, my husband is a teacher. My mother-in-law is a teacher. I've taught school, and I couldn't agree with you more. It's a divine profession with a low, how do you say, a slow, steady, long slow, work. Yes, it's absolutely deep, right and slow, to incentivize yeah. that. So let me kind of extend that question to say as, you know, to the Kenyan diaspora who might be listening to this or the Pan-African diaspora who are wrestling with, you know, but the opportunities are in Europe or in Canada or elsewhere. What would you say to them to compel them to come back and to consider these kind of public service opportunities? You know, I rarely ever compel anybody or even tell anyone, I think you should come back. I think where people are, yeah. they should do the best they can. Mm. They should be persistent, patient, committed, and just you know, head down, tail up, just do the best you can where yeah. you are. But what I would say is to always remember where you came from and to to give in some way, uh, whether you're giving of your time, your treasure, or your talent, give something, give, give something. something back. Yeah. And in some way, then um, somebody else will be here to do, to do the work, but that we always connect with home and find a place that serves and gives you joy yeah. when you serve because that is quite frankly the whole point of yeah. life yeah absolutely thank you for that um i you know your mother is often quoted you probably see her quotes all over it. you I must see. feel sometimes like she didn't say that <laughs> i have seen a few of them. <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> well i quote her every time on my show i always close by saying um, as my hero, Wangari Mathai says, you have to keep at it until it becomes rooted. Mm -hmm. um, because my show is called Uproot. And mm -hmm. so I'm always talking about these roots that bring us home or redefining home. And I'd like to read a quote from your mom and mm -hmm. just get a response from you. Um, she said, nothing is more beautiful than cultivating the land at dusk. At that time of day in the central highlands, the air and the soil are cool. The sun is going down, the sunlight is golden against the ridges and the green of the trees, and there's usually a breeze. As you remove the weeds and press the earth around the crops, you feel content and wish that the light would last longer so you could cultivate more. Earth and water, air and waning fire of the sun combine to form the essential elements of life and reveal to me my kinship with the soil. When I was a child, I sometimes became so absorbed working in the fields with my machete that I didn't notice the end of the day until it got so dark that I could no longer differentiate between the weeds and the crops. At that point, I knew it was time to go home on the narrow pass that crisscrossed the fields and rivers and woodlots. I love that quote. It's from your mom's memoir, Unbowed, mm. which that title, I really want to ask you how she came with that title because I just think it's brilliant. But I, I, when I read that quote, I felt like it was a really good metaphor for, again, that activism and, um, and being change makers. 
there are weeds and then there, there's the crop. And sometimes things are dark in our political systems, mm. in our economic systems, in our communities, and we're just busy hashing away and sometimes the weeds get uprooted yeah. instead of the crops. Right. And so I just would love to hear maybe as you look out at, at the future of Kenya and particularly let's focus in on youth advo advocating for youth leadership, what are the weeds What's the crop? You know, what are our strengths and what is our what are our challenges as we look ahead? And, and how do we make sure that we don't uproot the wrong yeah. thing? Well, for me, when I listen to that quote and I remember it from Unbowed is is just first of all, she was doing what she loved. And when you're doing what you love, you can describe it yeah. with such color yeah, and such it's poetry. Beauty. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So for me, the weeds and the plants are really find your passion. The passion is the is the plant. Yeah. The weeds will always come and they're there and you have to, as much as you can, cut through the weeds to find the plant because in that will be the joy of getting deep until it gets dark. Yes, yes. But it's, it's really the focus and that's the sort of level of intensity that's needed, the level of solidarity that's needed. If you can't do it yourself, what are you doing? Because that is still your passion, that we become completely obsessed with what we are doing because it is so important and we do it until the dark comes. Mm, beautiful. Let me ask you to really hone in. I want listeners to take away from this interview so much of what you've invested into this work of, of advocacy and advocating for youth and environmentalism and, and beyond Talk to that young person. You know, I, I saw that the Wangari Foundation is, as you've already mentioned, looking at different age brackets, 10 to 17, I think, and then you're looking at 18 to 25, and you're targeting them in different ways. Talk to that 10 to 17-year-old. What is the weed that they need to be careful of? Um, talk to that 18 and 25-year-old. What's the weed that might come in and distract them from their, their crop? And then talk to the mothers out there. Right. So much of your mom's activity and, and movement, she, she saw women as change makers. Um, talk to the, the me and you out there, right. the Nairobi woman who is going right. about her day, maybe just busy between drop-offs and pickups and, and deadlines, who hasn't right. really thought much about her passion or her love right. for, you know, speak to those three different groups, if you don't mind. And, and what do you see as potential weeds? You know, the good news is to speak to all of them in the same way, actually. Mm. The, 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 the one huge lesson at the Wangari Mathai Foundation, we are anchored by this concept of the power of one, that mm. each of us have the capacity to be potent agents of change. We can change. We don't have to do big things. It's the little things. My little thing. It's yeah. my little thing. Yeah. My mother said, um, it, it's the little things citizens do that will make a difference. My little thing is planting trees. Absolutely. Get about the business of finding out what your little thing is. Yeah. Because in that will lie both the joy and the passion to keep going and to sustain. So to children, we actually say that. We mm. say, you, um, we tell them the hummingbird story. Yes. The little hummingbird that was so persistent, patient and committed to putting out a forest fire, even though this little bird was so little. Right. And the bigger animals yes. were running out of the forest, yes. but this little bird decided, I'm gonna do something about this fire. Mm. Into the little stream, a drop of water on the fire, back and forth, back and forth. Each time, just bringing a drop of water. Mm discouragement, the weeds on the side, constantly saying, you can't do this. 
there will always be distractions. There will always be people who will tell you you can't do it. This is too big. Corruption is so big. But I'm reminded by my Fred, Sw Fred Swanico of the African Leadership University that it needs to be a big issue. Yeah. It needs to be big. Is it big enough, he asks mm. us, when you meet that moment of obligation, is it big enough for you? Are you well positioned to address it? Mm. And are you passionate about it? Yeah. So when that little bird is doing all of that, it's the power of one, that yeah. one little bird to make a difference. And it turns to the other animals and says, I'm doing the best I can. And that I say to children, to adults, and beyond, yeah. you have got to do the best you can. Once you find that moment, believe in the power of one. Yeah. And I guess what I hear you saying in that too is that it's, it's going to be true for all of, all of us mm. have one thing to do. Mm. Um, all of us have that one thing. And maybe the weed is, is, is just kind of maybe being more blasé about the things that we see in our everyday commute, exactly. you know, the trash on the road or the corruption or whatever it is, is, is being inattentive yes. to our communities. Unaware. Unaware, yeah, yeah unengaged. Um, do, do you have a favorite quote of your mom that stays with you? I maybe one you don't know. Thing, though, I don't <laughs> know if we have a quote that you don't know. Yeah. I think my little thing for me is yeah, just up it's beautiful. there. It's so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's, yeah. I think that's maybe what... Um, her movement again. In some ways, you know, you, I, she lived long enough to see the fruition of some mm -hmm. of her work. I, I wish she was here now to also see how it's carrying forward even and more. But that concept of my little thing is planting trees again. In '77, uh, is it that Greenbelt mm -hmm. movement mm -hmm. was founded? Unheard of worldwide. Planting trees. What? Um, so mm. now to think that that is the thing everyone is rushing to do right. and. Um, it's it's she was one of a kind and she have that vision at such mm. a young age and, yeah. and also to also capture it so simply right. my little thing um back to her memoir unbowed do you know why she called it unbowed and and what does that term mean to you you know i wish i could remember i know though intuitively that you know just going through the story of her life the story of her work she was so persistent. She yeah. was so patient. She was so committed to it all. I think unbowed represents that. And I remember she used to say, bowed but not broken. Yes, yes. And so, that's all of us, isn't it? Bowed, bowed but, but not broken. Unbowed. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, let yeah, me it read was you. bent but not broken. I want to read you now, not a quote that she said, but a quote that Kenyan writer Nanjala Nyayabola said about your mom. I don't know if you're familiar with this. She wrote quite a uh, remarkable article about her in 2015. Mm -hmm. And she talked about how Wangari Mathai was not a good woman and Kenya needs more of them. Mm -hmm. I think I and, remember that. Um, yeah. it, it reminds me of a quote from Congressman John Lewis from the United States who talks about getting into good trouble. You know, he walked with Dr. King and pushed forward civil rights, and he always says, everyone needs good trouble. And so this is what she said about your mom, and I'd just love to hear a response from you. She said, she revolutionized the act of protest in Kenya by centering it on the female body and urging the protesting mothers of detainees to strip when threatened by security officers who were threatening to break up their protests, Mathai wove traditional beliefs on nudity and gender together with contemporary political struggles to foment a decisive moment in the struggle that brought women into the center of political discourse in which they had only previously been included peripherally. 
She was an intellectual and an, uh, an activist who ultimately did more to spur on the democratic movement in Kenya than nearly anyone else. And I, I feel like, as somebody who's just an observer, that people remember the environmentalism and, and the forests. Maybe people don't always remember the fight for free and fair elections and the release of political prisoners and the fact that she was willing to take a very feminist approach to political activism at a time where it was unheard of and mm. could have cost her her life. Yes. What's your response to that characterization of your mother? Well, I think it's accurate. I, and I think the Nobel Peace Prize was such a, a, an excellent um, celebration of that, yes. that, that she was so clear about the connection between democratic space, environmental justice, and peace, and that we could not have any form of development without those three pillars in yes. place, and, and that the environment environmentalism became political at that moment and it, it sort of at the moment of, of Uhuru Park and the political prisoners and many people may also remember the middle ground group she was always yes. seeking to bring people together isn't and, that a and powerful unite. statement it's middle a, ground group even yeah. to think of it just make I mean, it plain yeah, this is my mission to find middle ground between yeah, us yes, yes that yes. it was not worth it the fight was not worth it between political factions at a time when we were so close to seeing the dawn of a new political dispensation yeah. in this country that many of us knew we wouldn't see yeah. in our lifetimes to have that come. And I remember just uh, in the when we were voting for the new constitution, just thinking, what a time to be alive yes. and to be in this country. It was just historic beyond proportion and that she saw that through and so many other pieces of legislation and ensuring that we each have in the constitution a right to a clean and green environment. She Incredible. fought for that yeah. at Bomas of Kenya, making sure, and again with many others, ensuring that the environment would never again, because you'll remember the case to save Uhuru Park, yes. was dismissed from court yes. because of a lack of a local standard. You, yes. you are who? Right. So right. Yeah. now we can go to court and say, my right, my environmental rights have been infringed upon. That's huge. It's so huge. progressive. Yeah, it's and it's going to be common language for our kids. Yes. They're going to be. That's going to be yeah. normal to them. Yeah. What was completely revolutionary just exactly. a generation ago, which is an amazing legacy and, and testament to to leave behind. Um, I wanted you mentioned the Nobel Peace Prize. I can't believe we've actually gone this far in our conversation without without talking about it. But it must have been really quite uh, interesting to have been a child as the movement was being born and as you said here seeing mom go to work mom comes home mom came home late today or mom does you know maybe mom had to spend the night in jail today or whatnot and then to be around when she was awarded the nobel peace prize oh, um yeah i would it's a selfish question but i just want to know i think i i'm i'm feeling emotional just asking you because i think of so many of our leaders who were never lauded you know um who went ahead and fought a struggle and and yeah, never got to see a moment where the country might have said thank you. What did that mean to you as a oh, family and, and to her? It meant everything. I think it was, you know, and to your point, so many people are doing incredible work around the world, yeah. unseen and unsung. But they're not necessarily looking to be sung sure. and seen. I think many people are doing this. It's their passion. It gives, gives them great joy. So that's, that's just part of what they do. And in the process of the journey... This happens, but just for us, I mean, as a family, to see all that come to such a peak to receive the most prestigious award in the world is uh, pretty 
incredible. It it's an incredible feeling. We were so happy for her yeah. that she got to celebrate. Um, we didn't realize for not that long, mm. but that she did celebrate and saw that moment yeah. come and it yeah. was it was like none other. Yeah, I I love watching the videos of the ceremony that she's in Kenyan dress. She keeps Kenya at the forefront of her remarks. Mm. She challenges us in her remarks, even in her acceptance. She's not resting. You know? <laughs> I think that must be the, yeah. the mark of a true activist that um, the work c continues Thank and the work you. persists. So. Let's talk um, a little bit more about the foundation. You chaired the Greenbelt Movement for many years. You carried forward that work, and now it's continuing to flourish and to grow and have an impact. Um, tell us why the Wangari Mathai Foundation felt like the next right step for both you and for the work. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's, it's a good question because the Greenbelt Movement in many ways represents my mother's legacy to the environment. It will always be perhaps the greatest... Uh, environmental movement in in history of Kenya's environmental consciousness. We are conscious today, we are aware of how beautiful and green our city is, and to a large extent, people are pretty protective. Yeah. I mean, anything happens in a green space and people are calling, why are you cutting that tree? You know, people want to <laughs> understand, want even though some need yes. to go down. Yes. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a consciousness that uh, is can be attributed, and it's it's taken forty years to mm. get there, and I think it's it's uh, amazing. So the Green Belt Movement remains the the legacy to the environment, but in around twenty sixteen, they actually the Aga Khan University, Alex Awiti and his team at the East African Institute released that Africa East African mm. Youth Survey, that was for me a moment of obligation. I remember feeling, wow, how is it possible that eighty percent of our population in Kenya is under the age of 35. Yeah. And that a majority of them believe corruption is a legitimate way of doing business. A lot of them are afraid to stand up for what they believe in. A lot of them are optimistic about the future of Kenya. How is this possible? And, and for whatever reason, it struck me. And I remember thinking, um, and then one other statistic that perhaps uh, helped propel me in this direction was the fact that w when asked who they admired, they mentioned Wangari Mathai third. And I remember thinking, wow, so she is hmm. a role model to them. Uh, yeah. And they are a large population. And I am frustrated about corruption being so per pervasive. How yeah. can we change it? It is a character issue it's an integrity issue and so i remember feeling that can we leverage my mother's life and work as a legacy to youth looking at the power of one looking at the way we can change that 70 percent and over of them are afraid to stand up for what they believe mm -hmm. with her as an example that right, shouldn't right, be that at a time be. that was so difficult she stood up she showed us what it means to stand up. And it doesn't always mean that you go to the street. It could be that you see something and you say something. And you could do it as a whistleblower. You could do it in so many different ways. But you trigger, you speak up, you say something. You should not be afraid to stand up for what you believe. Yeah. So we wanted to create a, a platform that spoke to that. How do we build a generation of people who are not afraid to stand up mm. for what they believe, yeah. who have integrity. And so we started this journey of creating the Wangai Mathai Foundation to leverage her work by sharing the Nobel Peace Prize and her, and her life and work through the Wangai Mutamathai House, which 
we yes. really hope will come to life soon. We're hoping soon. too. We're hoping too. We are yes. still working on that. It's a big project. It's certainly yes. uh, uh, taking more time. And then, of course, the two projects which we have within the other thematic areas, the Children of Tomorrow, Wanakesho, and the Encourage Leadership Deliberately. Yes, E-N hyphen Courage, because yes. we wanted to underscore the importance mm-hmm. of courage. And that in both of those, it's working with kids on character building, personal leadership, with Wangai Mathai as a, ro- as, as a metaphor. But leaders, as we go around the country, we use their le- local leaders. Who is the leader in this area? To see if we can shift the needle on integrity and corruption. Yeah, that's ambitious. As ambitious as saving trees and forests, but doable. I think that's what your the legacy continues to be. Right. My small thing can make a difference. And, and, and indeed, as a, as a, I think it's Margaret Mead who says, indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Right? It's exactly. is citizens doing their one their small one thing. thing. And, I, and I should add that yes. there's also, um, before my mother passed, she had also uh, planted the seed and even began the development of the Wangai Mathai Institute, which mm. is her legacy to higher education. So I, I see this as, you know, a growing... Um, mosaic of of her legacy that it wouldn't be one thing. The Green Belt Movement is her legacy to environment. The foundation is her legacy to uh, to youth, and the institute is her legacy to higher education. And how do you bridge the knowledge practice gap? How do you ensure that we graduate students in environmental governance who have been and understand what it means to protect forests? Yeah. What does it mean? Why is it important? Yeah. So that yeah. when they're the next ministers and and uh, county leaders, they will be good environmental stewards because of that experience. And so the Institute is churning out our future environmental Mm. leaders Mm. who are um, already steeped in environmentalism because they have been part of very practical education that took them to the forest. Yeah. You know, as as you're talking, it just, all that you're saying just really reminds me of so many political leaders on the continent who engaged youth um, and were clued into that earlier. It makes me think of Winnie Mandela. Um, so much of her work was engaging youth and, and and listening to their cause and their laments and pushing it forward in her own own way, in her own Winnie uh, style, and, and your mother doing the same and now you doing the same. And, you know, I started this interview talking about legacy and, and why does it matter? Um, You've shown us that it matters because there's a group of people that we need to engage, the youth. You know, when they're 80% of our population, it matters what legacy they take forward. Legacy of corruption, legacy of courage. You know, it's like we have a choice almost of what we will put at the forefront of their their agenda. You know, when when you... um, I don't know if you'll ever retire. Sounds like your work can keep you busy for indefinitely. But, you know, what do you want your legacy to be, Wanjira? You know, what do you want people to say about you? I want people to say that we we shifted the needle on on integrity and our yeah. understanding of leadership as personal leadership first and who I am, how I show up, mm. and that that work will shine through in how uh, over years uh, the the graduates of schools where we've worked emerge and mm. and show up in leadership yeah. and take on the big issues of the day. 
And with then those courage. headlines emerge. And we those see, headlines yes. will emerge <laughs> and we'll hear that there's a new protected area in Masai Mara is, is going Amen. to, you know, there's yeah. all those amazing things that seem so intuitive to yeah. us sometimes yeah. are, are probably not intuitive. And we begin, we need to work on them. And perhaps we then see the fruits of those with mm -hmm. leaders who are courageous. I love that. Last question, and then, and then I will let you go. I, Jira has been gracious enough to spend time with us in the midst of a, a full agenda. You know, we are both residents of, of Nairobi. I've been here eight years and have found them to be eight of the most, some of the most wonderful years of our lives. What can we do as Kenyan residents, citizens? What can we do better to take care of Kenya? Yeah, that's a big question, but I would say engage, engage, engage. Yeah. Find something to get involved in. I always tell people you have time, treasure, or talent. Mm. Give something. Time, treasure, or talent. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. Um, I always close my show, as I mentioned it, with my, my favorite quote, you have to keep at it until it becomes rooted. So I would love it if you would close my show actually for me today and and share your mother's very prophetic words I think um, I think all of us in our own way if we use our time talent and treasure are keeping at that passion that joy until it becomes rooted it grows into something that lives beyond us yeah. it's a legacy that remains and hopefully serves the next generation so Wanjira it's really been my deep honor to have you here you know the anything that we've gained from your mother's work you also pay the price to give to us and so on behalf of all of us thank you for what your family also gave to enable that work to carry it forward and to secure it for those of us who will never have a chance to say thank you any other mm. way we thank you and we honor your work and your legacy. Thank you so much for listening to Uproot today. I hope you have learned something today. I hope you've been challenged by Wanjira's words and her work and her continued effort to preserve and honor the legacy of her mother, Nobel Peace Laureate and hero to so many of us, Wangari Mathai. If you are hoping to connect with us further, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at uprootthepodcast.com. On Facebook and Instagram, it's at Uproot the Podcast. And on Twitter, send me a tweet at, at Uproot and Lil. And that's Lil, L-I-L-L. -L. So as we say at the close of every episode, you have to keep at, at it, it until it gets rooted. Thanks for listening to Uproot. Talk to you soon. Design Thinking for Business is an executive education workshop at the Aga Khan University Graduate School of Media and Communication. This workshop will teach you the skills to approach problem solving in a more creative way and can be used towards an executive certificate in innovation. Sign up now at www.akumedia.aku.edu.